Hi, I'm Mike Jenkins. And I am Emily, and we sponsor a 10-year-old little girl through Compassion. Her name is Alimata. She's from Burkina Faso, West Africa, and I have had the pleasure of meeting her twice already through Compassion by going overseas to West Africa. I got to meet her once, too. It was really awesome. Um, we first started sponsoring her two years ago at a Compassion Sunday event here at church. Um, we heard the stories and really caught the vision of what it means to sponsor a child, to be able to be involved in their lives, um, hear from them through letters, and getting to meet her. But as the stories were presented and we were able, together with our two children, um, look at the packets and the pictures and read about the different children, um, we picked her out and we've been able to connect with her and it's just been really neat to um, build a relationship with her. Last year, I was able to participate in a missions trip to Burkina Faso, West Africa. And during this trip, I was able to meet and experience uh, meeting Alamada, our sponsored child. This experience uh, led back here to the States where I was able to um, show the love um, that I had for Alamada and um, asked Emily that the next time that we go to Burkina Faso that uh, we do this together and meet her together. Yeah, so in February we went with a team from Cross Point to Burkina Faso and we were able to go and I was able to meet Alamada for the first time. It was amazing. Um, we sat in this building and as the children arrived they all came with um, a compassion worker. She actually had two with her to help translate and when she walked into the room, she recognized Mike. She remembered him. And she while... just came over and just gave me a great big hug. She was looking, she knew what she was doing because it was the second time around. And mm -hmm. that hug just knew <laughs> that this was, this is a meant to be, this is a one in a lifetime opportunity. It was really amazing getting to spend time with her. Um, she feels like family to us. Within no time at all, she was holding our hands and sharing the chair with us and resting her head on my shoulder. Um, we were able to play with her and through the translators, ask her about her health and her family and her schooling and hear how she's doing. There was one moment um, where Mike looked over at me and he said, no matter what, no matter how poor we get, we're sponsoring this child until she's 18, and hopefully at that point, you know, we can help her further with college or whatever, but, and, and maybe hopefully meet on a more regular basis someday. She's part of our family, and meeting her and spending that time just kind of secured that for us. I would encourage you strongly to participate in sponsoring a child. Um, the impact that it has on them is huge. Yeah, we can't do for every child, we can't care for every child around the world, but we can care for one, we can make a difference in their life. And ultimately, we're pointing them towards Jesus. So it's totally worth it. And I mean, for $38 a month, it's a small sacrifice for a huge gain. Mm -hmm. We just work some, you know, different numbers within our family just to make sure that uh, it's budgeted. And, you know, to see your child healthy and being educated and 
speaking the life and, and showing the, the love of Jesus and having those the, the clothes and you know eating well and having clean water is more important. I just think that what compassion and food for the hungry do for kids around the world is amazing and we just encourage you to to join us in sponsoring a child. Hey, again, let me welcome you to Cross Point City Church, and, uh, and specifically, let me welcome you to Compassion Sunday. Uh, this day for me is always one of my favorite days of the year, and I truly have been praying that God would do something mighty in this place today, and, uh, and that we'd leave thinking differently, living differently, loving differently, and so I'm just trusting that he's going to do that. Uh, this past week, I was with Zach at the same pastor's conference he spoke of earlier, and one of the speakers said something that has proven so true in my life. He said this, with knowledge comes responsibility. Back in 2007, I, I had the chance to lead about 100 high school students and their leaders on what was my first international mission trip. I have no idea why my church trusted me with that many people out of the country, but they did, so I went, and, and we served the community of people just south of Lima, Peru, and, and I'll tell you, man, I wasn't ready for what I experienced. Uh, the people that we served there, uh, the majority of them lived in these little makeshift houses. They had no electricity, no running water, no access to sanitation, uh, very little access to clean water, to healthy food, and on top of that, the majority of them had no relationship with Jesus Christ. So not only were they stuck in physical poverty, but they were stuck in spiritual poverty as well. And I just remember coming back home and, excuse me, and thinking to myself, man, I have to do something. I have to do something about the suffering, the despair that I now know exists in the world. I had no idea what I was supposed to do, but I, I just felt like I needed to act. I had a responsibility because of the knowledge that was mine. Well, fast forward a year and a half later, and uh, these convictions and feelings really intensified for me in a profound way after my first trip to Burkina Faso, West Africa. Uh, I was there on a team that was traveling from village to village, talking to pastors and leaders about clean water. And uh, as we drove from place to place, the missionary that we were working with, his name was Pete, shared things with our team that still I can't fully comprehend to this day. And I want to share some of them with you. He told us that in Burkina, this country that I love, that our church works in, uh, one in three children die before the age of 10 due to preventable causes like malnutrition, lack of clean water, and malaria. Think about if that was your kid. He said that malaria, this, this simple illness um, that you can cure with a medicine that only costs 2 to $3, most families can't afford it because they live in so much poverty. And so these children are just dying in mass numbers from this disease that, that could be easily cured. He also shared that a lot of families, a lot of moms and dads in Burkina will sell their children into slavery. Not because they want to, but because they know that their children will have a better shot at life by living as a slave in someone else's home than living as a loved son or daughter in their home. He, he said that in this country of over 17 million people, less than 20% of the population is employed. And those that are employed uh, make an annual salary of $300. That's less than a dollar a day. Now, for those who don't work, uh, as you can imagine, agriculture, uh, they rely on it heavily to survive and to live each day. But the problem is this. 
Burkina, which is the third poorest country in the world, sits on the south end of the Sahara Desert. And so growing crops in that very arid climate is really, really hard work. And because of that, a lot of families don't have enough food to feed all their family members. In fact, Pete shared with us that oftentimes moms and dads will choose which of their children to feed and which of their children to let starve because they don't have enough food to feed all of them. And that was hard for me. That was something when I heard it, I was like, no way. There's no way. And then I saw it. We went to this little village to talk to this pastor about putting a water well in. And we were sitting in the courtyard of his home and there were two little boys running around. One, he was a little bit older. Uh, He was well-fed, really clean, nice clothes on. He was being taken care of. The other little boy, he was running around. I'll never forget, I still have pictures of these kids. He was running around with no pants on. He was covered in dust, belly swollen because of malnutrition. His hair was falling out, snot covering his face. And our missionary says to us, you see those kids? He said, that's what I'm telling you about. Those boys are the pastor's sons. And he doesn't have enough food to feed both of them. So he's feeding the one, because at least at the end of the day, he'll have one son that will live. As if this wasn't enough for us to kind of hear and take in, uh, Pete went on to share that the majority of these 17 million people in this country are either, either Muslim or animist, meaning they believe in witch doctors, they worship nature. In this country alone, there are 27 people groups who right now are unreached, meaning that they have no Bible in their language, no church in their village, and the majority of them have never heard the name of Jesus come off the lips of another human being. Now, I'll tell you, the defining moment for me in Burkina was this. I'll never forget this experience. Uh, We were in this little village called Kira, and we were meeting with a pastor there. His name was Pastor Jacques. Uh, One of the wells in this village had already dried up, and the other was on the verge of drying up. And so Pastor Jacques, he walked us through his village. And as we walked through these mud brick houses in this very arid, dry climate, these Burkina Bay people, they just started following us. And by the time we got back around to where Pastor Jacques' church met, literally, I think there had to be at least 100, 200 uh, Burkina Bay people that that had joined us along the way. And, And so as we're standing there, the sun is setting over this dry, arid place. This guy looks at us, this pastor, never forget this. And he says to our American team, this, points at all the people surrounding us, and he says, we have no voice. You are our voice. And if you do not speak for us, we die. I left thinking again to myself, I have to do something. I can't know that this kind of suffering, this kind of physical and spiritual poverty exists in the world in which I live and not do something to help. And and as I came back home, God started to burden my heart with the passage uh, from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And, And in the passage, Jesus is describing the scene at his second coming. He says that he's gonna show up to the earth one day, a hundred million angels accompanying him. He's gonna set his throne up on the earth and then start dividing people out into two groups. And the difference between the groups is this. One group knew Jesus and they took responsibility and they acted on behalf of those who couldn't act for themselves. They helped those in need. They served and loved like they were actually serving and loving Jesus himself. And the other group didn't. And it's in this passage that we really see the heart of God for the least of these. Jesus calls us as his followers, church, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to care for those who are sick and dying, to invite in the stranger, to go to those who are locked up in prison, and to declare that there is a God who loves them and can offer them spiritual freedom. 
Now look, of course, of course, we're supposed to do all that right here where we live in our own backyard. And as a church, we do. Week in, week out. We, we do that for people right here where God's put us. But look, we're also called to go and do it over there. We're called to do it all around the world. Jesus himself says in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel to all of creation. In Acts 1, 8, he says this to his followers. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. If you've ever wondered why I, as your pastor, have such a deep conviction that this church have a global vision, this is why. Not only because of what I've seen and experienced in the world, but because of what I see in the Word of God. And that's why we partner with organizations like Compassion International, organizations like Food for the Hungry, uh, these amazing organizations that are committed to release children from poverty in Jesus' name all over the world. And one of the ways that they do that is through child sponsorship. For 35 to 38 bucks a month, Right, they give us the opportunity to invest in the lives of children who desperately need hope, who desperately need help. And we have the great honor today, as we've been sharing with you the past few weeks, of having a new friend in the house. His name is Jay. And uh, Jay grew up uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. He's going to tell you a little bit more about his story. But Jay was a compassion child growing up. He was a part of the compassion program, and his life was radically changed because somebody like you and me decided one day to pick up a packet and to say yes to sponsoring him. His story is powerful. I know it's gonna impact your life in big, big ways. Uh, it was so powerful uh, last service. So before he comes, let's turn our attention toward the screens and check out the small portion of his story. There's so much that I got from compassion, things that are so dear to me, things that you can never take away from me. And one of the things that I got from Compassion was love. My name is Jay Mbiro. I was born in Matare, Nairobi, Kenya. I grew up hungry, and as a little boy, I went to the streets of Nairobi, and I started begging for food and money. It was one day that I begged the whole day, and I didn't have anything. Nobody gave me anything. I saw a woman with a purse, and I actually went ahead and, and took it from them, and I ran. That's when I went to prison at the age of nine. I remember kneeling down in prison and I prayed to God. They said, God, if you exist, please take me out of this prison. I don't want this life. It was such a blessing to get into compassion. Compassion introduced me to Jesus and that's why I'm alive right now. Good morning to you all. In Kenya, we say, Praise the Lord, and then you say amen. Can you try that? Praise the Lord. Amen. Good, good, good. That's how we do it. Well, like I explained in the morning, uh, this is a Kenyan boy living in the south. So my accent is, if by any chance you miss something, just meet, meet me outside and I'll explain. But um, I'm so excited to be here. And as you saw from the video, uh, that is exactly where I come from, the center and Matare was born. And Matare is one of the biggest slum we have in the world. And in Matare, it's so hopeless, such that when children are born, the boys will most likely be thieves, and that's what they are expected to be thieves. And the girls are expected to be prostitutes. Reason being, we don't have any role models growing up. And so as a children, when you're, when you're born, 
your parents try to take you through school. But again, not all the time they're able to take you through school because they need tuition fee, which you don't have the money because they're not working. And it becomes so hard at some point and then you drop off and you don't go to school anymore. And in my case, my mom wanted me to have a different life because there's a cycle that goes on in Matara. Like I said, when the boys are born, they become thieves or girls, prostitutes. And then when they get to like fourth grade, they drop off. And then at an early age, they get children and their children go through the same cycle and it goes on and on and on and on. And so poverty is always within us and growing more and more. And so that's why my mom was trying to break me from that poverty together with my brother. But again, she was not special. She didn't go to school. She didn't have a job. And so she tried just like any other mom in Matare. And she even started selling liquor and drugs. She was just trying anything a mom would try and do for, for their children. My dad was nowhere to be seen. And so she struggled through. And when everything was not working, my mom, my mom attempted suicide. She wanted to take her life away because she thought and felt as a failure that she could not take care of us. And so we started living with my grandma. And when we were staying with my grandma, there's the room that we used to live in, it was so small and we used to be like more than 10 children in one room. And what happens is that there's something we call ugali in Kenya. Ugali is a is a staple food. Uh, you take corn flour, you add it in hot water. Of course, the water has to be in the stove. And then when the water boils, you add the, the corn flour and then you stir it. And when it becomes solid, that's what we call ugali. It's more like grits, but it's more solid than grits. That one you eat with kale. It's so cheap. The ugali is tasteless, if you ever taste it. But that was our food, and that's what we always like to have. And it's one of those things that if you don't have that, you are the poor of the poorest. But then this is what would happen. Since the house was so small, anytime you stepped into the room and the room was warm, that meant somebody cooked because we used to cook with uh, charcoal. And so anytime they cook, the house becomes warm. And so the moment you stepped in, you realize, oh, there's something that was cooked. And you're so happy and you're excited. But then the moment you stepped in, the room is cold. That is just an indication that there's no food, nothing that was cooked in that house. And so as a little boy, stepping into a cold house every now and then was the saddest thing that I went through. And I know food is not, I don't know how much, I, I, when I came to the U.S., I saw like there's a lot of food and I was surprised. And so food was a big thing to us. Just that small thing that we might take for granted. And when the life became so hard for us and we could not get food, and my grandma and my mom would tell us the hardest thing at night is nothing to eat. And so we'd have to go to bed hungry. And that happened over and over to my family and to the families around me. And that's how we ended up going to the streets of Nairobi. Nairobi is the capital city of Kenya. And so together with my mom and my little brothers, they were twins, we started going to the streets of Nairobi begging for food and money. At this time, my brother was already a thief. And so we were begging. My brother is stealing. And when I started begging for a while and I wasn't getting anything, guess what? I joined the wrong group and I started stealing too. Remember I told you in my community 
children that are born, the boys most likely end up being thieves. So my brother is already a thief. I'm begging and nothing is coming by. And so I start stealing. Because I would go to where my mom was begging and she didn't have any money. I don't have any money. We have children. How are we going to survive? So the easiest thing was for me to steal. And in Kenya, when you're stealing, you can either be stoned to death, you can be burned to death, you can be shot by the police. If you're lucky, and I say lucky, you are arrested. And in my case, I was just eight years old when I started stealing. But at the age of nine, I was arrested. Luckily arrested, because my brother was stoned. Luckily, he didn't die when he was stealing. But when I was arrested, I went to prison, and in there, I met other children, even younger than me, who'd been in, in and out of prison, and that was their life. And I thought to myself, am I going to die here? Is this my future? I saw the end of my life. I saw other children dying in prison because of preventable disease, just like malaria. Things that can be prevented, but they're in prison. Who cares about you when you're in prison? And it was so hard for me. And I thought, like, I don't want to die here. So what do I do? I knelt down, and I prayed to one person that I knew. I was not a Christian then, but thank God, Kenya, we have freedom of worship. And so I had heard about God. And so I knelt down, and I prayed to this God that I had people talking about in the streets. And I said, God, if you are there and if you exist, please take me out of this prison. But most importantly, get me out of poverty. Because even if I get out of prison and I'm still poor, I'm still going to steal and end up there and probably die. God was faithful enough. I got out of prison. But then I went back to the same neighborhood, Mathara, where we didn't have anything. And so I thought, well, I'm still going to go back to the streets and probably die. But then Compassion International intervened. I don't know if you know anything about Compassion, but Compassion, when they go to these poor places, they don't act hero. They go and work with local churches, and through the local churches, they were able to, to, to discover the children who are within that community that are poor, that they need help. And so they work with those churches. So through my local church, I was able to be enrolled into the program of compassion. And as much as I did not become rich, but I had an opportunity to where I can hear about the word of God, I can go to school. And they gave me all that opportunity. What happens when you join the program is that they take pictures and they make packets of children, just like me, just like the packets that you saw on your way in. And those packets goes round. And so that packet is an actual child, just like when you have a check which is as good as money, that packet is as good as life. And it is the only packet for that child. We don't have any other packet somewhere else. And so they took my picture and then they tried to look for sponsorship for me. For some reason, I wasn't getting sponsored. I remember they would call us in a room and they would read out names of kids who have been sponsored. So the child on my right would get sponsored. On my left, the ones who come later on, they would get sponsored. I would be like, what was wrong with me? I remember we used to cross our fingers when they would read out the names and you're hoping and waiting to hear your name being called. I wasn't being called. I actually thought I was not cute enough. And there are many other children who think they're not beautiful, they're not handsome, because they're not being sponsored. But in my case, after some time, a family from California sponsored me. And so that day, I had my name. I was super excited. that I finally got somebody who sponsored me, and they changed my life. That was like the best time of my life, because I had there's somebody in California who are going to be your sponsors. 
And let me tell you, there are three things that you get when you, when you are in the program of compassion. This is what children receive when they are sponsored. One is education. They're able to go to school. Their parents don't have to worry about that. And so compassion takes care of that. Or the sponsors do take care of that. And I thank God for that. The second thing that I got from compassion is love. When you sponsor, like I said, it's an actual child. So you get to write letters back and forth. And during this process, when my sponsor said to me, we love you. And you're so special to us. And that's the first time I heard the words, I love you. The third and the most important thing that compassion gave me was the word of God. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass, but my word will remain. So apart from giving me the money and the food, which is very good, I was so blessed to have the word of God. Because I know if my sponsor is not there, if my pastor is not there, Jesus is standing right by me. And I can call on him on any time. Poverty is a state of mind. And so most of us, as much as we are, we are poor physically, in our mind we are poor. And so the moment you get to sponsor and speak to these children and give them the word of God, their minds are renewed just like the Bible says. And they start seeing themselves not as poor, but as children of God. And it is through that that I got to know that there is somebody who sticketh closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. I love your mission here. The mission statement again is, we exist to, we exist to relentlessly uh, pursue those who are far from God with the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And I love the last part where you say, we will not wait. Because while you are waiting, somebody might be dying somewhere. And even compassion, we reach our children in Jesus' name. All we do, the bottom line, is to make sure that we receive Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the most powerful thing about that is that you guys are not going to sponsor Africa, for example, for the rest of your life. You sponsor us. We grow up like I am right now. Together, me and my wife now, we are already sponsoring five of us. I have other people who went through the program. They're already sponsoring. And so at some point, we will start being sponsoring our very own and we'll go back and we'll end this poverty. And so thank you for those people who sponsor. Please don't give up. Continue sponsoring. Because you know what? If nobody sponsored me, I would be dead. Because the people that I went, I went back to Kenya a year and a half ago and I was looking for my friends that I grew up with. And most of them, they're either dead or they're in the prison. But I'm alive because somebody picked my pocket and sponsored me. So if you're a sponsor here today, add one more. If you're not a sponsor, please sponsor a child and save life just like mine. Thank you and God bless you. Come on. Let's thank Jay for sharing his story. Come on. So just stay standing uh, since you're already on your feet. Response time. We're not going to have some long, drawn-out thing. We're not going to sing a song. We're just going to ask you to act. That's what we're going to do. As the shirt reads, child needs you. We've got 211 child sponsorship packets outside this building. And these are kids, like our, our friend, who's just waiting for somebody to pick up a packet and to say yes. With knowledge comes responsibility. You know the need. And so I'm asking you, will you act today? I love what Jay said. Look, some of you might go, well, I already sponsor a kid. Sponsor another one. 
Well, I already sponsor a couple. Can you fit a third one in? I mean, think about it, 35 to 38 bucks a month is nothing for some of us. And so let's put it to good use. I'm not asking you to do anything my family's not doing. Uh, we sponsor a couple of children right now uh, around the globe. This is me with my compassion girl. Her name is Elise. I got to meet her last year. And it was a life-changing experience. So, man, sponsor a kid, change a life, come on a trip, meet them. And I promise you, life will never be the same, all right? Listen, uh, when you go outside, there are going to be people to help you to fill out the paperwork. Don't just take packets. Grab one, fill out the sheet inside. If you have questions, we'll be available for questions. But uh, but now's the time to act. I'm going to ask Jay, if he would, just to pray for us, that God would give us the courage, the faith we need to take the step that, uh, that he's calling us to take. Will you do that? Thank you. God, we thank you and we bless your name, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story, your story of how, Lord, you came and picked me up and you saved me. Right now, the other children who are probably crossing their fingers, they are probably think, they think they're not cute, they're not beautiful. But today, Lord, they're going to receive a message from this church that you love them and they are beautiful. And thank you, Lord, for these people. As they go out there to pick those children, Lord, Lord, connect them with the right children to sponsor and let them love on them. Thank you for giving them the opportunity to sponsor. Continue to bless their family. Even bless them as they go home. I thank you and I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.